back to Ephesians. Uh, we read the first couple chapters, but we're not even through chapter two. So we're picking it up. We left off verse 10. And um, I'll read it and we'll come back and go through our study this morning. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh of the hands. I'm just going to stop here and tell you that the reason Paul is writing this, he's writing it to Gentiles. And he's explaining to them the connection between Jews who are Christians, Jews who are not Christians, and where do the Gentiles fit in anyway with all of this. That's where we're going with the study this morning. Uh, That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant and promises. We're going to come back and take an in-depth look at that because a Gentile would have no idea about the covenant and promises of Israel. Having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. Between who? Between the Jew and the Gentile. Having abolished his flesh, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one a new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Now that's in the context that you don't possess the promises that God gave to the Jewish people. But he says that's gone. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, this is Old Testament, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. Now, Ephesians is addressed to a group of believers who are rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ, yet they're living as beggars, and only because they are ignorant of their wealth, since they are Yet to accept the wealth, they relegate themselves to living as spiritual paupers. Paul begins by describing in chapters 1, 2, 3 the contents of a Christian's heavenly bank account. Adoption, acceptance, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, inheritance, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, life, grace, citizenship, in short, every spiritual blessing drawing upon the huge spiritual endowment 
the Christian has all the resources needed for a living to praise the glory of God. The problem is they weren't doing it. I would liken it to America as a whole, that we have so much, generally speaking, in comparison to a third world country, which we're very rapidly becoming anyway. Um, He is going to try to lay out to them and explain to them um, how God is in a building program. And that's sort of how he ends this here, that he's building a holy building. He's the cornerstone. And he began with, um, I have underlined in verse 12, the covenants and the promises that were not given to the Gentiles. We're, we're talking the promises that he made to Abraham. So now we're gonna have an overview of um, Judaism uh, before the cross and Gentiles. Are you with me so far? Okay, so let's, um, here in these verses 11 through 22, um, Paul to the Gentile Ephesian church, I've entitled this message Grafted In for a reason that we've been grafted in with the Jews, heritage and history. This morning we will look at promises made to the Hebrews, past, present, and future, and why there has to be a rapture, and why there has to be a seven-year tribulation period. So if you look, let's break it down to verse 13, and... um, Again, read verse 12 where it says, and at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants and the promises. In other words, they didn't know what that was about. And that's why Paul's writing this letter. He's gonna explain it to them. Uh, Having no hope and without God in the world. What I have underlined is covenants and promises. And with that, I need you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 13, picking it up with verse 14. And we find here God making a promise. Abraham was called out of his own land. And coming out of his own land, he was simply told to go where the Lord told him to go. And he eventually gets there. And in verse 14, we read this. And my subtitle above it is God's promise to Abram. It's not Abraham yet, it's Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants, for how long? Forever. This is important. God made a promise. Guess what? God keeps his promises, even though we don't. So when we begin this study, the first thing that Paul is writing to these Gentiles in the church of Ephesus is let me explain to you what a promise is. And I'm sure he would be explaining it this way. So here's the promise. This is the land, and I'm giving it to you. And right now we're in a process of dividing it. 
And so throw that into the pot. All right, God's promise, I underline descendants forever. Now his covenant that he made with Abraham, you have to go to Genesis chapter 17, verses one through three. And we have the institution of the covenant and its circumcision. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, ask from her, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be a father of many nations. Um, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations to you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in this generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And also I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. These promises and covenants were for Jewish people only. And they accepted it by faith. And uh, to seal, to deal, to show that you were one of these people, um, uh, circumcision was the covenant that showed that you were of the Jewish race. Now, and that the promise of the Messiah would also come through them. And that was given to David. And also, he promised David his own kingdom that he himself would sit on, probably as a representative. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. So we're going through how many years of time? From Abraham all the way up to Matthew chapter 15, which my Bible just opened to all by itself. And um, remember, keep it, let's keep it in context here. What is Paul trying to do? Well, Gentiles don't know anything about covenants and promises. And he says, you're excluded from them. Now, in chapter 15, we actually read this yesterday, a men's prayer. And I said, well, that's interesting. I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow. So if you go to chapter 15... You can also find it in Mark and Luke, um, verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Well, the subtitle of what I'm reading here is Jesus Heals the Gentile woman and she's called the Gentile 
I think it's in, also in Mark and also in Luke. Notice what Jesus said. He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away. For she cries out after us. Why are they being so mean? And uh, what's derogatory tone? And this is the Lord's answer. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's only going to Jews. She was a Gentile. But I think he's leading her on. This is what I told the guys yesterday at Man's Prayer. He knows what he's gonna do. And he knew what she was gonna say. But he says this anyway. He says, no, I'm not sent to the Gentiles. I'm sent to the lost house of Israel. Why does he call them the lost house of Israel? Well, just think of Israel's history after they had inherited all these blessings and promises, what did they drift into? Oh, the worship of Baal. Uh, Ahab marries Jezebel, establishes Baal worship. Elijah thinks he's the only prophet left who's doing the Lord's work. Everybody else is backslidden as far as their Judaism and what they're supposed to be representing, the God of heaven, but they're doing it by worshiping all these false gods. Pretty much the history. There is exceptions. If you're taking notes this morning and you wanna know who the exceptions are, just write down Hebrews chapter 11 and it'll give you a list of the names of those who were faithful. Um, Abraham, um, Daniel, um, Moses. There's a list of all those who were faithful and kept them. And uh, when they died, where did they go? Well, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. The Bible says that Jesus actually went there as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, what in the world is he doing going there for? Well, he's explaining to the faithful Jews who he is. He's their Messiah, and he's going to deliver them. When the thief died on the cross, what did Jesus say to him? The thief called him Lord, and he says, today, not three days later, but today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. Well, what's paradise? Abraham's bosom. Who's in Abraham's bosom? Abraham. (laughs) That was not a trick question. But he, he said it went and he preached to the spirits that were there. And what is he explaining to them? His purpose for coming as their Messiah And um, when he came, I don't want to get too much ahead of myself here, but I'll repeat it. It's worth repeating. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected their own Messiah. So we read in Matthew 15, what I want to point out here is he clearly tells this Gentile woman, sorry, I can only, uh, I'm, I'm sent to the Jewish people not to the Gentiles. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. 
Some Jews actually called Gentiles dogs because they weren't Jewish. And he said, true Lord, she said, true Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. He's drawn her out. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith, let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. She was persistent. I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. But you're the only one that's gonna be able to help my daughter, please. Please, Lord. And he says, as you wish. And she was delivered from that very hour. What I want to point out here is Jesus clearly says he's only sent to Israel. Now, go to chapter 10 of Matthew. And let's reaffirm this by looking at verses 5 through 8. Matthew 10, verse 5, then 12. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But I go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is it clear thus far in our study that Jesus' mission is only to the Jews? It's pretty clear so far. And as you preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, who's he talking to? All the backslidden Jews and telling them to go to the Jewish homes and say the kingdom of heaven is here, I'm here. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And they go out and um, many of us I learned something this week that I never, ever saw before. And it really took me back. Um, Go with me to the book of Acts chapter two. I'll show you what I mean. I'd never seen it before. I had simply presumed some things that are not true in light of everything that we just read. I bounced this off a couple other people And I said, I found something I never thought of before. And uh, it's basically this. Acts chapter 2 is what we call the beginning of the church age. It's the feast of Pentecost. And um, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting they then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire and one sat each on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues uh, the Spirit gave to them. Now in the verses five through 13, it tells of all the other places that um, these people came from. Uh, they came from uh, Mesopotamia, Judah, uh, Pontus, Asia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Rome, uh, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own uh, languages, wonderful words of God. 
What struck me here, if you go to verse, let me see, it's verse 36. When I got done reading it, I realized that he is only talking to Jews. There were no Gentiles at the feast of Pentecost. How do I know that? Because verse 36 tells me so. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. He's talking to Jews. Assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There were no Gentiles in the early church. It's clearly stated, um, uh, these verses uh, in between here is basically Peter explaining to them what has just happened to them. And he talks and he quotes from the book of Joel that this day would come and what they would do with him and that they would crucify him. And when they heard this message given by Peter, they were cut to the heart and they repented. Who repented? These Jewish people. The early church was only comprised of Jews until, and here's the big word until. Remember, keep this in context. He's talking to Gentiles in Ephesus. What's the big deal with uh, promises and covenants and how he's only dealing with uh, What does this mean? So basically, he's giving them a Bible study explaining the relationship and how God, even though they were two, he's in this building program and somehow, some way, in his divine wisdom and knowledge is gonna make them one. The first Gentile ever saved, you already know where I'm going, is in chapter and we're looking at the conversion of Cornelius who is a centurion from the Italian regiment it says in verse 2 he was a devout man who feared God with his household he gave alms generously to people and he prayed to God always and about the ninth hour of the day he saw clear in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him Cornelius And when he had observed him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up from a memorial before God. He's praying to God, wants to be right with God, but the problem is he's a Gentile, an Italian Gentile. He says, I want you to send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea, he will tell you what you must do. One of my favorite places in Israel is visiting Joppa. You can walk from Joppa to Tel Aviv, and we're talking light years apart because you have a very cosmopolitan city in Tel Aviv, and Joppa looked like it would have in the days of Christ and the transition, and you, can, you, walk, you walk the beach to get to this place. And they even have uh, uh, what I call a seaside the house of the tanner where Simon went to. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. No way. Seasite, if you guys know what my seasites are. 
Um, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and devout soldiers, and um, among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. So what's going on here? Well, the Lord has to get Peter's attention because what's about to happen is he's gonna be preaching the gospel to a Gentile. And Gentiles, Jews, are not allowed even to go into a Gentile's house, much less a tanner. Are you with me? Okay, so from verses nine through 15, it's lunchtime, and I'm gonna, instead of reading it, I'll explain it, because it's repetitive. About lunchtime, Peter was getting hungry. He says, I'm hungry, time for lunch. Verse 10, I'm very hungry. But while he was getting ready to eat, uh, it says the heavens opened and a great sheet bound at the four corners descended to him and was let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth with beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came from heaven and said, rise, Peter, eat and kill. And here's the biggest oxymoron in the Bible, not so, Lord. (laughs) You're my Lord, not so. (laughs) For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. In the book of Leviticus, they're specifically laid out. This is kosher. Ham sandwiches are not. Are you with me? And so Peter is saying, look, I've been keeping this law my whole life. And now you're telling me to kill and eat something unclean? Not so, Lord. So the Lord had to repeat the vision. Same thing again. Goes through the whole ritual all over again. And uh, a voice again came second time um, after he had done it. And the voice said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up to heaven again. And while Peter's standing around thinking, what in the world is this all about? He got a knock at the door. And there were some uh, Gentiles there. And they said, um, we were told to come to this house and um, to look for you and you're to follow us and we're gonna go back and take you to our friend Cornelius. And um, so verse 21, Peter went down to the men and sent him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they bring him back to um, where Cornelius is. And we read here, let me find my notes here real quick. Verse 23, I wanna get to. Then he invited them in and lodged with them. Now this is Peter going into a Gentile house. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called relatives and friends together And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am just a man. 
And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, notice now, you know how it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation's home. But then he says this, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Oh, the lights went on for him. Oh, so that's what those picnic baskets were all about. That's why you said what you've cleansed don't call unclean. You were setting me up. You were giving me an example that you're going to do something so radical that you had to show me this three times before it got through my thick head. And so he goes in and he says, you guys know that I shouldn't be here. I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, and that's not acceptable. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? And they explained to him the vision that he had and that um, verse 34, the lights are going on for Peter. Peter says, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Up till this point, there were no saved Gentiles. He is the first Gentile and his buddies that were around there but he's not saved yet. Peter has to lay the gospel out to him. And so he does. He talks about in verse 38, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, who went out doing good and healing all, who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he's laying out the gospel to um, Cornelius and his friends. And... um, Uh, that he was, verse 42, ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name. These are Old Testament prophets. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Okay, put yourself in Cornelius. You want to know more than anything else how to be right with God. And all of a sudden, he just heard it. Saying that he... Whoever believes and lives in him will have forgiveness of sins. Everything stopped in Cornelius' mind at that point. He didn't say a word, but neither did the thief on the cross. But God saw his heart. And in his heart, he says, I believe that, I accept that. And without saying any words, God saw his heart. And what happens next? The Holy Spirit shows no manners whatsoever, but interrupts Peter's Bible study. And while Peter was still speaking, these words the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. In other words, they're now saved. And those of the circumcision, this is blowing their minds. Who are those of the circumcision? Jews. They're watching this. And those of the circumcision who believe were astonished. Why were they astonished? Oh my gosh. A Gentile just got saved. The Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did on us at Pentecost. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured on on the Gentiles also. Inconceivable as far as they're concerned. God is doing one of the 
most amazing changes in history as it relates to Jews and Gentiles. And this is what Paul is seeking to explain to the Gentiles who are in Ephesus. And he's laying all this out. The story that we're talking about this this morning is basically what he's laying out for them. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit? Isn't this just the opposite of what happened with Philip in Acts chapter eight? They were baptized first in water, but then they had to call for Peter and John to come up from Jerusalem, laid hands on them, and then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know what I like about this? You can't put God in a box. You can't say, here's the formula to make it work. No, he can baptize you in the Holy Spirit first, evidence right here, or you can hear the gospel and be baptized and then get baptized in the Holy Spirit sometime later. And I like that because it does not put God in a box. He can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants, and I haven't asked for an amen all morning, but I am now. Amen. Amen. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they stayed there a few days. Have you gotten the main point that the bringing together in the building of the house and why I call this being grafted in is a concept that even most Christians don't fully understand. And we sort of have an attitude about it because for the last 2,000 years, the church has primarily been made up of Gentiles and not Jews. So um, let's go to Romans chapter 10. And we look at one verse here. And basically chapter 10 is all about Israel rejecting the prophets. Primarily Jeremiah. He suffered greatly because they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And this involves the year of Jubilee, the Shemitah, Yom Kippur, and why they were in captivity for 70 years. And uh, it's because they would not let the land rest for one year. They kept farming it. On the seventh year, the land was supposed to rest. They just blew that off and kept plowing and planting it anyway. And God judged them for it. He says, you guys are going to go into captivity for 70 years. And that's why they were there for that long. So most of chapter 10 is Israel rejecting the prophets. Uh, They were supposed to be representatives of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they served the other other gods. I'll sum it up in one verse, chapter 10, verse 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and and contrary people. And that pretty much sums up the Old Testament, except for the people that were in Abraham's bosom that were faithful and were obedient to the things that that God wanted. Now, in chapter 11, it brings up the hypothetical question, well, what is it? Is God done with Israel then? And um, what is this connection? Well, verse 11, verse one says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Now we're talking about the Jews. 
Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and the tribe of, of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he speaks with God uh, against Israel, saying, um, when a Jehovah Witness comes to my house and knocks, or people that have replacement theology, and um, um, if you're Jewish, um, they, their claim is God has rejected Israel. He's done with them completely. And now the promises that he made have been transferred to the church. We call this replacement theology. And what the question is here is, well, is he done with the Jews then? Paul says, certainly not. I'm a Jew myself. But what kind of a Jew? He's the kind of a Jew who believes in the Messiah. And so we need to make some distinctions here. There are Jews that um, uh, will not be saved as there will be some Gentiles who will not be saved because both will have committed the same sin, uh, the rejection of their Messiah. If you're taking notes, John 1 verse 11 says this. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then he says, you guys aren't gonna see me again. He's talking to Israel. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when the Messiah came, they rejected him. And he said, as a result, there's gonna be consequences. If you're taking notes, we're now in Luke chapter 19, where he tells them, because you did not know the day of your coming. He says, this is what's gonna happen to you. They're gonna tear down this temple. Your women are gonna be ravished and you're gonna be destroyed, and you're gonna be taken into captivity. This was April 6, 32 AD. 38 years later, the 10th Roman Legion came down and took out Israel, just as Jesus said. Well, it's been 2,000 years. What happened to the Jews? We call it the dysphoria, or the dispersion of Jews all over the world. That's why we call them the wandering Jews. They're all over the place. But he said there'd come a time when they would return to the land in the latter years. And so what we find in uh, chapter 11, a period of time that was just for Israel. Until when? Started with Abraham, and it goes all the way up to Cornelius. And all of a sudden, God is taking what was once unclean and cleansing it and saying, no, Gentiles now can be saved. And we read here, um, I said there has to be a rapture, remember? And there has to be a tribulation. Here's why there has to be a rapture. God promised Israel in Daniel chapter nine, I can't get into it, do your own homework on it, that he would deal specifically with the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem for a 490 year period of time. And he said what he would do with them. He said the day that you get a decree to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, 
Bingo, that's when you start counting. Well, that's in the book of Nehemiah, chapter two, if you're interested. And what happened is of the 490 years there, we call it Daniel's 70th week, 483 of those years have been fulfilled. April 632 AD is when Jesus was riding the donkey down the Mount of Olives. Everybody with me? And they were worshiping him. They were singing Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees got all bent out of shape. We clearly see that there was a section of time for Jews only. And even Jesus said, I'm only sent to the lost tribe of the house of Israel. That changed with Cornelius. Now, the church began with Pentecost. Our Calvary Chapel verse that describes our fellowship is Acts 2, verse 42. They continued daily in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, prayer, and communion. I can do those four things. But if anything else besides that, count me out. I can't. It's got to be by God's grace and God's grace only. Another good place for an amen. So now, why does there have to be a rapture? It started with all Jews at Pentecost, roughly 2,000 years ago. Now in verse 25 of chapter 11, it says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions that hardening in part has happened to Israel. In other words, God allowed this hardening in heart until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Stop right there. This is a picture of the rapture of the church. There's a certain number when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So for the last 2,000 years, it has basically been a Gentile church. Some good Gentile churches, some not so good Gentile churches. Another good place for an amen. But nonetheless called Christian, right? Okay, now verse 26. Why does there have to be a rapture? Because God owes Israel seven more years. He's not done with them yet. But we have this space between the Old Testament Jews, the church age, church is gone, tick, 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 tick. The clock begins to tick again because God owes Israel seven more years. Isn't it interesting that the book of Revelation from chapter four on is a seven-year period of time? And what does he do in that seven-year period of time? Um, before we go there, I need to go to Romans 11, verses 11 through 24. The purpose of Israel's rejection. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Meaning Israel? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. For if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Man, Paul, 
all these things that you go through and you handle it like it's nothing. You're always at peace. You're never bent out of shape. And everywhere you go, you get thrown into prison and so on and so forth. And he's provoking them because what would the natural response be of a person who goes through those kind of trials? I'll tell you what it makes me think of. I know the Lord is gonna take the church out before the tribulation, but I know a whole lot of people. I went by a person's house, this is not my notes, of a person that I know very well. And there were cars outside his house as I was coming to men's prayer. He was outside embracing his wife. He was embracing his wife and the look of consolement was written all over them. I know they have at least four kids and I know them personally. And I, I brought it up at Ben's prayer and we prayed for them because of what I fear I think happened. And um, if you get away from the Lord or you don't know the Lord in these times and you have perfect peace with all the stuff going on, don't you think people are gonna be wondering I wonder what he got, what he has. I sure would like to have that peace in the middle of all this stuff that's going on. Well, that's what he's saying here. He wants to provoke them in a good way to have per- the perfect peace that he's talking about in Ephesians. The peace that um, passes understanding. All right, let's go on. 15, for if they're being cast away as a reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For the first fruit is holy, okay? The lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches, okay? Analogy. He's using a tree and and the roots being Israel and the branches being the church. Follow this through. For if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree, talking to Gentiles, were grafted in. Do you see how I got the title for the message this morning? You were grafted in among them and with them became partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. In what way? By inheriting the promises that were made to Israel. And then this warning. I find it extremely interesting. And um, it says, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. In other words, be careful about how you treat Jewish people. Be careful, especially the saved ones. Uh, The saved Jews we call Messianic Jews. They're, They're few, they're a minority, but they're Christians. You may say then, because we were broken off that I might be grafted in, Paul says, well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith, do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness. There's that big little word again. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Ooh, there's a theological argument right there, huh? And they also if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. One of the questions that was asked in one of the men's prayer is if I get saved and I backslide, can I get saved again? 
And I said, absolutely, yes, as long as you're still alive. Well, where do you get that from? Oh, right here. If they continue, verse 23, and unbelief will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if they were if you were cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own tree? Need for the church to be removed, verse 25, we just read it. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then we're out of here. And then what happens? The clock begins to tick, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will take away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant. What kind of covenant? An everlasting covenant. When I take away their sins, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have been disobedient, that through the mercy shown they also may obtain mercy, for God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And I love this next verse. Oh, the depths of the rich, Riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For in him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. How are you going to reconcile this, God? How are you going to get Jews and Gentiles to be one. They're completely different. You've set them aside. They're not accepted. Well, oh, the wisdom and the knowledge of God, which is what? Past finding out. And now he is working with them. Why does there have to be a tribulation? These Jews, when the rapture takes place, will not If you're Jewish, you will remain, you will be left behind. And um, God owes Israel seven more years. Israel will be saved. However, um, maybe I'll just read this one to you. I'm turning to you for taking notes. Zechariah chapter 13, verses eight and nine. These are verses that tell us why there has to be a tribulation. And many Jewish people today say, no, I'm Jewish, I'm not a Christian, so on and so forth. So he has to deal with them. Question, make it personal. How did he deal with you to get you saved? Did somebody tell you that God loves you? He really does, I'm gonna accept the Lord. No, most of you hit bottom. And most of you went through some hard times. And then God got your attention. Okay, I'm reading Zechariah chapter 13, verses eight and nine. It will come to pass in the, in the land 
that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring one-third through the fire. What is the fire? It's the tribulation period. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called Daniel's 70th week. And what will he do? Two-thirds will be wiped out. There's a lot of wars and rumors of wars right now between Iran and Israel, isn't there? And uh, I could get so sidetracked with that, but do your own homework. All I'm saying is that two-thirds of the people that are alive today that are Jews go into this period of time, it says, will die, period. And I will bring one-third of them through the fire, through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined and tested as gold is tested. And so he's breaking them. When the abomination of desolation hits and everybody's looking in the world right now to put all the pieces of the puzzle back together so that we don't go to nuclear war, would you agree with me with that assessment? That's pretty much where things are at right now. And all of a sudden, somebody pops up on the scene. Oh, all of a sudden, a couple million people disappear out of nowhere. He says, I got answers for that. And I can help you out with that. And he will sign a peace agreement with Israel for seven years. And he will break that peace agreement with Israel in the middle of the seven-year period of time called the abomination of desolation. And then he tells them, when you see that, Matthew 24, when you see that event take place, run. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that it's not wintertime. Pray that you can travel. But get out of Jerusalem. Run for your life. Where do they run to? Petra. And one third of them. And then this is what it says. Then they will call on my name. Oh, isn't that interesting? What did Jesus say to them? You're not gonna see me again until you say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord, and they call upon his name. And I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, this is the Lord my God. We're talking at the end of the book of Revelation, where Jesus returns. Uh, Revelation 19 says, at the end of the seven-year period of time, they call upon the Lord, the Lord returns, that's Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Then God keeps his everlasting promise to Abraham in, from Genesis 13. This land is your land forever and ever and ever. But the world is gonna be pretty well wiped out by that time. It says, unless the Lord returns, uh, no flesh would be saved. So, we enter into, according to Revelation, a 1,000 year period of time that God promised David. The king, we call it the kingdom aged. Who was it promised to? It was promised to Israel. And it would be upon the earth. And so we find that the, let me see if you can follow the straight of thought as we close up this morning. God will keep his promise from Genesis 13, 
Old Testament saints will live on the earth along with those who accepted Jesus. Okay? Um, Old Testament saints um, did not live. They had the gospel preached to them. Um, God will keep his promise during the millennium. And in the book of Revelation, he promises that he who lives and believes in me will rule and reign with me on the earth. But that's not our home. You're the bride of Christ. The, the, the Jew, in this particular case, got saved in the Old Testament before the cross. So they inherit for 1,000 years planet Earth. Our home, John 14 says, behold, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But he did tell us. So what does that mean? Well, you have to read um, the New Jerusalem that's talked about where the church is called the Bride of Christ. And so there is a distinction for that thousand years. Well, what happens after the thousand years? when we're ruling and reigning. Well, that's Revelation 21. Then he will make a new heaven and a new earth. And he doesn't tell us hardly anything about it at all. (laughs) And um, the last two chapters of the Bible. So let's see if we, let's go back and I want to, what we went through this morning, go to Ephesians. And what is Paul attempting to do with these Gentiles. Did we learn something new that we might have not, never thought about this morning? I hope so. There's a lot of ignorance of this in the church. And uh, I have to admit, I had things that I've never seen before, uh, especially Pentecost, only having Jews being there. But let's, as we close the second chapter of Ephesians, um, Uh, remember God is in a building program who does it say the cornerstone is Jesus when you walk out the door this morning turn to your right and look at our cornerstone because that's the scripture that we have on there no other foundation could anyone laid than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ he is the cornerstone what's he doing he's building a spiritual temple and it's made up of Jews and Gentiles making them one. Verse 19, as he's writing to these Gentiles, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Strangers and foreigners of what? What a Jew is all about. The promises, the covenants. You're no longer strangers to them. You're part of them. But fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay, that's the next step. Well, that's the Jews. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built. You guys realize you're in a building project right now? (laughs) And the Lord is building a spiritual temple for a habitation of God in the spirit. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer.
Lord, we find this to be an interesting week, having it be Rosh Hashanah last Sunday and, and um, the Jubilee year, this Tuesday and Wednesday. A time of reflection, um, having a better understanding Israel's place in all this and um, how you will deal with them in this last seven-year period of time, why there has to be a tribulation to break them down, to get them to a place where they will cry out to you. Many of them, Lord, will get saved because of the preaching of the 144,000 and uh, Moses and Elijah preaching. And um, many of them will take the mark of the beast. And so there has to be the seven-year period of time so that you can deal with the, the remnant so that they will eventually call out upon you and will bring you back to this planet and deal with those nations who are gathered together against you and your people. So we thank you for your word this morning. Go through the rest of our day. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.